Welcome to the Anxiety Recovery Podcast. My name is Valerie. I'm an anxiety mindset coach and hypnotherapist. You know that moment where you are absolutely at peace in the present moment. I believe that is what we are all at the pursuit of. And I want to help you get one step closer by up-leveling your health, mindset, and love for yourself. Because that happiness and lasting fulfillment can only be created and found within. So get ready for all things mindset, mental health, and self-love. I hope this serves you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Recovery Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. Today, I have Erica Hornthal, the dance movement therapist. And she is so amazing. Her content inspires me. And we're going to be talking all about managing anxiety through movement. So welcome, Erica, to the Anxiety Recovery Podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. So again, my name is Erica Hornthal. Um, On social media, I go by the therapist who moves you. I'm a dance movement therapist. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor. Um, I live and practice in the state of Illinois, um, just outside of the city limits of Chicago. And um, I own Chicago Dance Therapy. I opened that in 2011. Um, Yeah, and I spend most of my time either advocating for dance movement therapy, creating visibility for our field, or working with my clients either one-on-one in a group or uh, within, you know, couples or family capacity. Wow. I love that. That's so beautiful because movement is so important for the nervous system. And, you know, we can get so stuck in our mind when we're anxious and there's all this uncertainty. So like bringing it back to the body and dancing is like so, so impactful. And you said you also work with couples. Do you also incorporate dance movement with couples? Yeah. Excuse me. It depends. I guess, let me preface it with this. So even though our field is representative of that art, right, of dance, because as we know, there's there's music therapy, there's art therapy, there's drama therapy, et cetera. Um, you know, dance therapists practice very differently. I do know some colleagues who are very, very connected to that dance piece and will bring in elements of dance or, you know, actual dance movement, not necessarily choreography or a skill tied to dance, but the focus really is on dance and the expression or the art form of dance. As my practice has evolved, I really tend to use the definition of dance that is rhythmic body movement that expresses emotion, thoughts, or ideas. Um, And then the definition of movement that I use is a change or shift in perspective or posture. So with regard to that, I've had couples that have entered into this exploration, if you will, of moving together, dancing together, partnership. Um, I used to run a group called um, On the Move and specifically with caries and, and care carers or care partners with Parkinson's. And so we used to actually engage in an adapted version of ballroom dance to help them enhance and connect, right? Or, or enhance 
their relationship, their connection, especially in light of the new diagnosis. And then I have other clients where it really is focusing more on those micro movements. It's looking at how we communicate through our body. It's looking at, you know, how I make eye contact with my partner or the slightest shift away from them when they say something that I don't agree with or my need to constantly be attached or connected to them. So it really runs the gamut and it totally depends on where the client is because in psychotherapy, as we know, we really want to meet our clients where they are. So for me to just jump into full-blown dance for a lot of people puts them so far out of their comfort zone that I don't think I would see them the next week. (laughs) So um, it really just depends on what the clients need and what they're open to uh, in in the moment. Yes, that's beautiful with that is just such a beautiful story that you have like had a whole group with carers with, you know, and then there's um, partner who has Parkinson's. That's so beautiful and inspiring. And yeah, I think that's so important with meeting clients where they're at. And, and a lot of my clients or my clients and listeners on this podcast would probably identify as someone who has an anxious attachment style. And like you said, loves to be, um, always like attached to their partner. Um, like how would you kind of help clients work through that in your practice? I know that's like a, such a multifaceted question, um, cause obviously everyone is different, but yeah, I'd love to know that. Sure. I mean, I think there are some, some common themes, right? Um, so while everybody is different and that's, I think what makes movement using movement in, the context of psychotherapy so beneficial is because it truly meets the individual where they are, right? Everybody's movement signature, movement patterns are a little different, even though they ideally come from the same place, right? We we typically develop, right? Obviously there are variables and, um, uh, you know, differences that occur, but, you know, development happens in a certain way. And so like the origins of these things happen very similarly, but uh, that that nurture piece, right, is different. And so we're all unique individuals that move in different ways. So one, I will just bring in this idea of being more aware of how we're moving, right? That it's not moving in a certain way. It's not using any certain type of movement practice to support our mental health or our need to change. It's actually just paying attention. I was talking to a client about this the other day. Think of it as like bringing in a mic, um, bringing in a, a looking glass, right? Or a, um, I guess in a sense, like a microscope, right? And and really putting that lens on what is my movement in this moment, you know? So not only are we recognizing the thought patterns, right? Or maybe those codependencies or the the need to be attached, but quite literally, what does it look like to be attached to someone, right? Is there this invisible thread that's kind of where they go, I go, or, um, you know, they push away, so I push away. Um, Once we start to really put our movement patterns and habits under the microscope, it's very, very evident where those thought patterns come from. So I think asking the question, how are you moving? How am I moving in this moment? How am I moving in relationship to this thought? How am I moving in with regard to this, this person? That's one way, you know, to approach it and, and kind of the bulk of where I begin to look at this, these attachment styles. I think the other thing that I like to point out is that much like we have these attachment styles to people, 
this often is the attachment style that our body and mind have to themselves. So we can also start to look at what is the attachment you have to your mind? What is the attachment that you have to your body? And how can we look to create a secure attachment between our own mind and body? Because that attachment very much mirrors the attachment that we were, um, you know, provided, right? That was mirrored for us growing up, which is usually where these insecure attachments come from. So is my, you know, mind berating my body? Is it gaslighting my body? Is there this constant need to agree with my mind or override my body? These are things that we can start to look at in order to repattern these external relationships. We can start to develop and rewire them within ourselves. Yes, that is so powerful. Like just that statement of we have an attachment style, not just with others and the external environment or external world or in relationship, et cetera. We also have that with our own mind and body. And I think that's very powerful, you just stating that. And how can people become more connected with their mind and their body and enhance that mind-body connection? I think we're already pretty connected to our minds, right? We were talking <laughs> about like we're always in our <laughs> we're always in our headspace. Um, so, I mean, I'm laughing because obviously there are many people that could still connect in a healthy way to their mind. Um, I think a lot of us are like, I don't think I want to connect to my mind anymore than I already am, right? How do I True. silence? Well, maybe not silence it. I call it a you know a a, a radio. If whoever listens to the radio anymore, you know, you got to like tune tune it down a little bit so it's not so loud. Um, you know, for some people who are ready to do the work, like really jump in, you can do something as as um, uh, not easy, but I would say as simple perhaps as starting to equate, you know, a thought to a sensation, right? So I'm very connected to my mind right now. I know exactly what I'm thinking. Where do I feel that? You know, what what is happening in my body while I'm thinking this thought? Because chances are that's actually been occurring long before you had the thought. It just doesn't really come into conscious awareness until we're thinking and, and really fixating on those thoughts. So if you're willing to go to that place, you know, you have a thought and you just, you pause and you say, you know, how do I know this? How do I know that I'm experiencing this, this anxiety or this need to be connected to someone? Where do I exhibit that? Where do, where does my body feel this? Um, not everybody is ready, willing, or even able to go to that place quite yet. So that's when I think it's really important to start prioritizing, creating space and time to just be with your body. Um, and again, for some people, this can be a little deeper with the regard to a body scan. We can, you know, set five minutes uh, throughout the day or at certain points of the day to actually spend time with and listen to what our body is telling us. Um, if you're not used to being with your body, something like taking a walk outside without any distractions, you know, um, music can be supportive, but it can also be distracting when we're walking or exercising. Can I practice just being in the moment, listening to the sounds of nature? Um, I thought of this a long time ago and I forgot. And thankfully, I was reminded this past weekend that when we shower or bathe, that is actually a really beautiful time to reconnect to the, the sensation of the body. So we don't necessarily have to go too far internally if that's really scary. Uh, I always say that, you know, it can feel really scary because we can't see the internals of the body. So we can start with the external, you know, and so literally as you are 
washing your body, you know, take that soap or that body gel, bath gel and just, you know, pay attention. Like, okay, I'm rubbing my forearm. How does that feel to touch my forearm, touching my elbow, touching my shoulder, right? So we kind of go back to the basics of when we were kids of the head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Like make sure that you are identifying and really spending time with your body parts. And it doesn't have to be for too long, but for so many of us, it's uncomfortable. You know, just the idea of putting my hand on my chest is uncomfortable. Just the idea of touching my belly might be uncomfortable. Um, you know, and obviously within reason, depending on, you know, histories, right? What traumas people have endured. So we want to be really gentle, but before relying on something external, let's start to look at how we relate and how we can be with these body parts. Um, and that starts to rebuild a healthy attachment to our physical body and the sensations. Then we can go into where is this connected, right? How, what's, what are the metaphors? What are, you know, is, is me bending over backwards and always saying yes to people, you know, the reason for my bad back. It's like, <laughs> it, you know, there's no right answer, but um, I think we are, we're a very all or nothing society. Either we are disconnected or we are so connected that we burn out from it. You know, so we want to really ease into it, give ourselves permission to disconnect when we need to. And when we feel secure and um, stable enough to do so that we, we take those opportunities to be with our bodies. Yes. I, so many great points that you mentioned of, you know, we want to start off slow. Obviously we're always trying to meet our client where we're at, where we are, we are in such an all or nothing thinking, am I connected or am I not connected? And it's like, maybe there's a spectrum. And I think those tips of like, just going slowly, even five minutes, you know, in the shower, noticing where am I going on my body? What does this feel like to have this shower gel on my body? And just noticing that. And mm -hmm. especially like with, with um, some of my clients experience anxiety, some have experienced addiction. So it can feel hard to connect with your body. And so, and just being still with your body. And I always recommend even just starting with one minute, like, can you, can we start with one minute? And I think a lot of people, uh, I think they want, so many people want to just like be quote unquote fixed and go right into the problem and get to the root of it right away. Um, especially just because people ha have these belief systems that they're broken, they're not enough, et cetera. And then it's like, then we're rushing our, our healing journey. And then it's not great. Like we want to build up to it, right? Like connecting to our body. That's a skill that we practice continuously. And mm -hmm. like a lot of people, this is the reason why I don't do like one-off hypnotherapy sessions or like somatic therapy sessions anymore because if someone is disconnected from their body or they don't know how to process their emotions or triggers it's going to feel very uncomfortable if we're seeing all these um, memories or we have these big feelings that are coming up from these mm -hmm. deeper modalities so it's like we want to start slow and that's why like the first month at least depending on the client I'm not doing really any um, like deep processing work or getting to the root of anything first because we are such an all or nothing society. And it's like our nervous system needs to kind of get used to being connected when we're so used to protector parts that are stopping us from being connected. Yeah. I mean, we enter this world into connection, right? I mean, I would almost say perhaps the opposite, right? Because mind isn't really 
I don't want to say it's not there, but it's certainly not conscious when we are, you know, when we come into the world. So it's really body that's calling the shots. I mean, you know, we're uncomfortable. We cry. We're uncomfortable. We, you know, uh, freeze. Right. I mean, it's, it's like, everything is body. Everything is sensation. And there's really no verbal. I mean, there's, there's some sound, right. But we don't have verbal communication for quite some time. And some of us never do, you know? So I think to remember that for most of us, when conscious awareness happens, maybe two, three, usually by four or five for many people, um, think of how long you've been living in the conscious mind. So, you know, if it's been 20, 30, 40 years, it is going to take a lot more than just one session to reconnect or rediscover that connection. So I have clients that are like, you know, yeah, I realize the root is in the body and I want to get down to it. Like, okay, well, just setting realistic expectations. Like, you know how people, there's like kind of that cliche that uh, however long you've been in a relationship, you know, it'll take half that time to get over it, you know? So it's like the same thing happens with the mind and the body. So if you've been disconnected for your body for 45 years, give it at least some time to reconnect. Um, knowing that you will easily fall into the old habits of disconnecting, you know? So um, we have to remember that the body is not a problem to be fixed. Um, therapy for me is not about fixing anything. It's about creating awareness around what is and what isn't, what we want to do, what we want to change. So even if you're entering somatic work as seeing the body as something that needs to be fixed, that's not going to cut it. <laughs> Like you're quickly going to realize that that's still coming from the mind because it's the mind that judges, not the body. Um, so we really have to like give ourselves permission at some point to, I don't want to say demolish the wall, but let the wall come down a little bit so that we can truly be with the body instead of coming at it through the mind. Yes. All of what you just said in my mind, I'm like, scream it louder. Cause I think <laughs> <laughs> like louder literally, yes, <laughs> yes. Because so many people have this, these unrealistic expectations. Like you said, it's like, well, if you've been disconnected from your body for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it's going to take more than five <laughs> sessions of therapy to get to it. And like yeah. a lot, like a lot of people have come to me. Um, and they have like anxiety disorders or high levels of anxiety. I'm like, okay, so what have you tried to kind of work through this? Some will say, you know, talk therapy or I've seen a therapist, but you know, I, maybe I had a couple sessions. I'm like, okay, so you've had this high level of anxiety for 20 years. It's not going to be automatically reversed in a few therapy sessions. You have to like, it's, it's like you said, it's gonna, it's a practice and a skill to connect back to our body, to connect back to those sensations and to work through some of these deep rooted things. And so managing our expectations is huge. And yeah, I just think that's a, a really, really excellent point. And I think dance and with working with the body is so, so helpful because, you know, like you said, when we're under, you know, five years old, or even when we're just zero to three years old, we don't have the, we don't have cognitive development. All we're feeling is those sensations in the body from zero to three years old. So sometimes utilizing somatic therapy will be very helpful in processing some of that pre-verbal trauma and things like that. Right. It is quite the cliche of coming back home, 
you know, because that, that is the first language, right? That would be like, if you have a native tongue and then you learn a second language, but then you never revisit the first language, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, I almost get the sensation that there's kind of like this undercurrent of tension, right? Because you're never, you're never settling back into where, where you truly belong, but, but yet most of us don't feel like we belong in our bodies because of the narratives that others have told us, you know, or the stories that we've picked up along the way that really aren't ours. Um, and so, you know, where do you start, right? Like when your own home feels very foreign, um, it's uncomfortable to stay there for too long. So, so yeah, we titrate, right? We do it in, in little bits, little pieces. The other thing I wanted to say as you were talking too is, especially for individuals with, with relationship, right? Or attachment concerns. And that's why you're entering into therapy. We have to remember that therapy, like the key to therapy is relationship. I mean, that's yes. what therapy is about. So if you go to a couple sessions and you're like, this is, this is screwed up. I'm not doing this. Right. It's like, remember you're there to work on relationship. And so the relationship in therapy is what's going to help. Now, granted, it might not be a good match, which is what the challenge is, right? Because you can enter into therapy and you're like, well, that sucked. I'm not going back to that. Maybe it just wasn't the right therapist, you know? And I know it's, right. it's so difficult and tiring and overwhelming because sometimes it can, you can feel like it's an endless, an endless cycle, which can also highlight why you're going to therapy in the first place. But um, you have to give it a chance in the respect of creating that trust, that establishment, or as much trust as you're able to with that other person. Um, and I think the stepping stone, if you're not, if you're not in therapy or you're not willing to, or ready to do like dance movement therapy, the stepping stone to that is building the trust within the dance relationship, right? Like how do I start to move in my body, trust that my body can move myself through space, right? Getting that, um, connection to your proprioceptive sense, which a lot of us, again, haven't really honed since we were three, um, that can be a, a stepping stone. So sometimes it's going to sound strange, but like, sometimes I almost feel, even though there's the stigma around movement and dance and somatics within the work, it almost feels like a little bit of a buffer sometimes. Like we have someone else in the room with us so that if I don't really want to talk about it, or I don't have the words to say it, well, guess what? I can actually just do some movement. And that can be the catalyst that opens the door for like, hmm. So what did you just experience there? What was your body telling you? Right. So it's like couples therapy, but it's just you. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's like, yes, body couples therapy, which is funny. I, I like, I don't know, last year I tried to do some reels and I remember doing like couples therapy through the mind and body. Right. It was like mind and body were in couples therapy and the things that they say to each other but it's very true. You know, it's like everything. Yeah. It's individual therapy, but within us is a couple, you know? And so working through the relationship of mind and body, we can use movement as, again, it's weird to say it this way, but like sometimes as a buffer, especially if we've run out of words or we're not quite, quite established with that therapist yet. Absolutely. You know, somatic exercises or dance therapy or somatic experiencing is very powerful, especially if you don't have those words and, you mm -hmm. know, just getting more connected to your body, especially if you're in the freeze response, which looks like depression, you know, that could be a way. And, and when doing those subtle movements can really help you move out of that to where maybe you could talk or explain what you're experiencing. And I think that's very powerful and something that a lot of people overlook. And 
therapy and, you know, getting mental health help is such a privilege. And, you know, we experience trauma through relationships, through our parents. You know, we don't like, I want to say like, we don't come into the world traumatized, but like, you know, it's kind of like, right. There's like generational trauma. Exactly. I I hear what you're saying though. Like we don't have traumatic experiences ourselves. We get, you know, we get those, those genetic experiences. So I know I understand where you're coming from. Yes, exactly. And so it's like, if you're acquiring those traumas and, and, and hardships and adversity through others, it would make sense that we would have that mirror, that, that, relational attunement with a therapist would be so absolutely healing because they're they're giving you that safe space where maybe you haven't had a safe space in your whole life that can be very healing and it's it's just a way that it's not like you can you can connect to yourself and have tools you know on your own but when you actually work with a one-on-one practitioner or therapist or coach, that's when everything really starts to shift at a much more impactful level compared to if you're doing it on your own. And someone with an avoidant attachment or um, someone just with attachment struggles might struggle, might experience hardship and opening up and that's okay. And that's what, you know, you're here to do. Sure. I mean, whatever attachment or relationship concerns you have are going to play out in that therapy office, right? And that's, again, part of, I believe, the power of therapy because there is that relational piece. So obviously depends on how the therapist handles that. I'm much more client-centered, so it's very much, you know, unconditional positive regard for whatever's coming up. But it is always interesting, I think, to highlight, oh, Oh, okay. So you're here because, you know, you, you mentioned how you feel like you get to a point, you start pushing people away. Um, do you want to talk about why you, you haven't been to the last two sessions, <laughs> right? It's like, you start to get someplace and you're like, are, are you, are you pushing me away? <laughs> you know? like, I mean, I don't know if I say it that way, but like, you know, through a little bit of humor. Um, so it gives you the opportunity to be like, how is why you're here playing out in these sessions, you know? And, and that we can have agency over where we go next with it. You know, that I'm not like, I'm not here to shame or blame. Like if that's the pattern and you're not ready to really work through that pattern, then, then, you know, I'm here, call me when you are, but it's been really, I think life affirming for many people to then be able to embody those patterns, you know, so that it's not just again, the mind, but I'm like, well, let's, let's embody what this attachment looks like. You know, what does it look like to push? What does it look like to pull? Um, how does it feel when someone's trying to pull you, you know, how does it, what, what does it look like? Or what's your reaction when I'm pushing you, um, you know, physically and metaphorically. So I think for every psychological construct, there is a movement metaphor and it can be the one thing, the one way to externalize what we've been working on that really snaps. And all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, I've never seen it in that light before. I, you know, for some people it's art. Again, for some people it's music or drama. I know not everybody is going to relate to that dance piece, but for me, that's where the education happens is like, everyone has a body. Everybody moves. Everyone moves before they think. <laughs> and so, mm. you know, 
try to deconstruct the dance movement piece, even though that's what I do, and just helping people understand that um, the movement is the root, right? Like you can keep putting band-aids over it. You can keep kind of pulling the the weed up, but until you're really ready to like go into the origin of these early development movement patterns, which is where those thought patterns emerge from, you're going to keep repeating the cycles. It could be longer distances, right? Oh, I used to do this every two weeks. Now I do it every two years, wow. but it's, it's still going to get revisited. Right. I mean, I've had clients where they're like, oh, well, so I have a history of trauma, but I processed that. So I'm actually here to really, you know, be with and connect to my body. I'm like, oh, that sounds beautiful. Okay. Let's do it. And then within like one session, all of the trauma bubbles up and they're like, oh, I thought, I thought I handled this. I'm like how, right? Like how, what does it mean to handle? But like, how did you deal with it in the past? Well, I talked about it and I, I, I retold my story and I, I rewrote the story. I'm like, did you bring your body along for the ride? Cause I think your body's still carrying that narrative. Right. So it's like, you have to change your movement patterns. Otherwise they are going to continue to perpetuate the thought patterns that we're so you know we're really really trying to overcome obviously I could talk about this forever so I love that that is so freaking powerful just the whole statement of you're gonna keep revisiting things until you get back and process things through your body because Mm -hmm. exactly like you said I, I hear that all the time well I've talked about it like I've heard clients tell me a whole vast of like complex PTSD and they're like well I talked about it and I'm over it I have no they're like I have no um I have what's the word I'm trying to say I have no I want to say shame but that's not the word um I have no like I I don't hold anything against my parent or parents for this Mm -hmm. and it's like hmm is that true yeah yeah like when we really peel back those layers right? Mentally, yes. we're like, oh, I forgave them a long time ago. Meanwhile, while you're saying it, your body is showing, you know, betrayal, right? Your body is yes. showing mistrust. You're like, you're tight and, you know, you're not making eye contact, but you're like, but yeah, I got, I got over that real fast. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, all right. You know, and in those moments, I usually just, I just kind of notate in my head, you know, of like, revisit this at some point, you know, or perhaps it will, it will arise and organically be a conversation that comes up later. But I hear you. It's, um, it is, we, cause we want to be fixed. Like we want yes. to move through these painful, painful parts. And over the weekend, I, um, attended this, uh, it's called she recovers foundation. It was a, um, conference that they put on in Chicago we did a beautiful movement, uh, workshop on one day. And it really dawned on me that, For so many of us, when the root of our pain is in our bodies, it is a, it takes courage to dance. It takes courage to move. And I don't mean to perform, you know, or get on a stage. Like that's a whole other set of courage and bravery, but to literally be in the place that houses all of your pain, it is such an immense act of bravery and courage to revisit, right? It's why we can't revisit the places, live the literal places where you know, bad things happened either to us or, you know, our, our, um, our neighbors, right. Uh, some of us can't even see it on TV, you know, or social media. And now we're like, be in your body, go to the body. Um, no, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we have to safely re-enter, you know, how, how do I relate to a body that houses all of my physical and, and emotional pain? 
and realize that 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 is an act of bravery that is courageous to do so absolutely it is it's the I think truly the most courageous thing to do is to be Mm -hmm. like I'm noticing this and I'm 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 instead of maybe dissociating or getting out of my body, I'm going to decide to stay in my body, even if it's for one minute. And that can feel so scary. And it's also okay if you notice a part of you is dissociating this part Mm -hmm. of you and this part of your brain is just trying to keep you safe and protect you. And, um, and like, I would, and I really wanted to ask you this about, cause so many, cause I wanted to revisit a little bit about attachment patterns and kind of how you kind of work through that for movement. So like, I'm thinking of everyone, a lot of, it, okay. I'm like kind of blank at my words, but a lot of couples. Okay, you could use your body. Yeah. Show me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. A lot of couples, someone who maybe holds an anxious attachment and then they ma- are magnetized to someone who has an avoidant attachment. And then they, it's, it can cause some issues if both parties aren't willing to work on it. So how would you kind of approach that movement or yeah. How would you kind of approach that? in movement or yeah um so again this like kind of first draft um when I say these things I think it's kind of in an ideal situation recognizing that you know there isn't one way to do it and and that if you're a practitioner listening to this it's not as simple as like oh I will try that with my clients next time um I think of a couple things right like one can we establish what those attachments look like individually right before we actually do them in a couple. So perhaps that's, you know, individual sessions or, you know, kind of that proverbial homework, you know, asking each one to kind of think on, you know, what does this look like? I say, if, you know, if I had to personify my attachment, um, if you have an awareness of what your attachment style already is, right? Like, how would it move? What are the movement characteristics? You know, if if that is the, like, name it, right? This is Steve and he's, you know, he's my avoidant part um, this is how he walks. This is how he would talk. This is how he would, you know, brush his hair, get dressed, comb his, whatever. Um, if you don't have the opportunity necessarily to do it individually, right. And you, and you have a couple in front of you, or I have a couple in front of me, I might ask them, right. To move those parts at the same time and notice the contradiction, right. You might have one person that's, you know, going toward the other, and then you have the other that's moving away. Maybe you have one person that is just frozen, is just standing still because they don't know how to move or what to do in this relationship. And the other is just constantly moving around them, wanting to connect, attach, tugging on them, you know, whatever that looks like. Like I think of the, you know, the three-year-old that's just trying to get mom's attention. Um, we can, we can also in, engage in some, uh, this is, this is, it's not proprietary to dance therapy, but this is like one of the foundational interventions of dance movement therapy or techniques I would say is mirroring, you know, so you have um, either the client and the therapist, or you have two clients, right. Standing within a safe distance across from each other. And you ask, you ask them to take turns leading and following movement. Um, The idea is not that we're trying to trick our partner, but it can be very, um, enlightening, right. To see one, how we feel with regard to when the other person is moving and then how we feel to be in charge, right. Or to take control of the relationship and have that other person witness and move with us. That is 
I mean, there's so many, there's so many places to go from that. Um, and I've done that with, you know, uh, like individuals, right. Me and a client doing it. Um, and it brings up these questions of like, are you a leader? Are you a follower? Do you like to be seen? Do you want to be invisible? Um, you know, when I, we can, we can veer from that. Right. And maybe the intervention is we're mirroring each other. And as we're mirroring you, I start doing my own thing. Sometimes that brings up your feelings of abandonment, right? You left me. Why weren't you moving with me? Or my movement wasn't valid. So now I have to adjust and move like you. Um, I think it's very common for us to, to have the sensation of how should I move? Just tell me, what, what do you want me to do? I'm, I'm like, well, just, just, why don't you just shake, you know, just, just move your legs like this. How? Like, I don't know. How, how do your legs want to move? <laughs> you know? So, so we're so used to moving in certain ways that like just moving authentically is, is strange. And then doing it with a partner, um, it very quickly starts to highlight the interaction, right? The interrelationship that we have with this person. So when I say these, like that's, several sessions that wouldn't necessarily just be like a one and done. Um, you know, it can also be a couple sitting on a sofa, you know, and this kind of intervention of, I want you to have a conversation without words. Like mm. what, how would you, how would you talk to this person next to you? You know? So again, I'm throwing things off the top of my head, but it's like, um, I can imagine one part of the couple, like moving a little closer and like cuddling, you know, or like leaning into that person and maybe they've had a rough day and they're like, no, like, mm, you know, and they, you can't see me probably, but I'm, I'll explain what I'm doing. Like yeah. kind of pushing them away, standing up and walking, you know, walking off. Like this is communication. We're doing this all the time, but we, we trick ourselves into thinking we're not, we're not fighting. We, I mean, we were, we were perfectly, you know, happy right? Like we didn't raise our voices or anything. I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's nonverbal communication that we really need to pay attention to, you know, like your body is talking. So just because you were fine, it doesn't mean you're fine. <laughs> yes. That is so powerful. I believe it's like we communicate through 60% of our body language. Is that right? Something like that could be more. So statistically like nonverbal communication is, is almost like 90%. Honestly, it's like 90%. And then 10% wow. is tone. Well, 10% is is tone and, and actual words. I think words are like mm, the the words are less. I, I'm gonna like don't quote me on this. It's it's in my book, so you can you can read it there. But three percent I think is actual words. Um wow. you know a little larger percentage is the tone and then like overarching communication yeah, is nonverbal. That's, that's why like my cliche or my, my soapbox, not my cliche is always like, why are we telling people to talk about it when most of our communication is not verbal? <laughs> I'm like, yes, really go talk to someone. And so I'm like, for what it's worth, the dance therapist, not to throw all somatic, any other somatic therapist under the bus, but speaking for my field, I'm like, dance therapists are we talk with and to the body oh right we're like yes. all of that nonverbal communication that's where our training is you know and we can talk till we're blue in the face as you can hear from this recording right like <laughs> i can talk with the best of them but 
we're not trained to speak with to and from the body. And that's the, the niche that our field, I think, really offers to the world. Um, because nonverbal communication literally reigns supreme. It, it is the most intense, like main form of communication. Yes. I'm like, scream it louder. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. fantastic. <laughs> and I could really see how that would be so transformative, even just in a individual and with couples, how even just having them move authentically, how much that would really show into their unconscious or and conscious patterns. Like that's very powerful. And that's why I really love using, um, I use somatic experiencing and I also use brain spotting with clients because brain mm -hmm. spotting, I don't know, have you heard of it before I continue? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not I, trained in it, but I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Yes, it's fascinating because we don't even have to talk about what's happening as we're doing it. So basically, for those who don't know, brain spotting is a somatic modality where we use, we could either use just a gaze spot, basically the nervous system, where you look determines how your nervous system and how you feel. So mm -hmm. using brain spotting, using a specific activating when you're activating a specific eye point, when you're doing that, you can process emotions, memories, and traumas that are stuck inside your body. And mm. so it, and like people can use it on babies, which I find so fascinating because you don't need, because they're nonverbal, they don't need to talk about it. And right. so I think it's just so fascinating and why somatic therapies and tools are so freaking powerful. And mm. yeah, that's just like amazing. Um, you know, it hasn't, it yeah. hasn't been without getting on a separate tangent. It just, it hasn't been the mainstream. Um, what's the word I want to use? Not just mainstream. It's, it's just, it's been kind of the second class citizen for so long that there's still this need to validate, right? Well, where's the research? Where's this? Where's that? We're like, well, I think a lot of it goes back to when we weren't collecting data, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think there are records because this is stuff that happened before people knew how to keep records, you know? And so now we're getting to the place where it's like, well, we have to have the research. And then once we have enough research, then the insurance companies will cover it. Then the this, yeah. then the that. So we're still right. Everything is really coming from that, that mind centered place. And I, my, I'm, I mean, I know it's shifting, um, but I'm really hopeful that like, this isn't just a trend, right? Like people are going to really understand that, oh, at some point, this is where the standard of care goes when it comes to mental. I mean, that's the problem there. We call it mental health, right? Emotional yes. health. Like how do we meet mind, body, spirit where it is? Because those are the origins of psychology. Like those are the origins of psychotherapy, um, it's very hard when the medical model has established something other than that. And it's like this uphill battle, you know, because, well, I, I have the secret, I have the thing that's going to help you, but it doesn't, you can't use your insurance, right. Or like, but you can't have access to it because, well, it's cost this, or it's only in this region. You know, it's, it's such an unfair disadvantage for so many people that are really struggling. So, I hope, you know, that this continues to be the quote trend, you know, and that we get back to those origins of psychotherapy where it really was mind body connection. Um, it's a struggle. It's, it really is a struggle. Cause like, I know within my own field, 
not enough is known about it visibly, right? Not enough people are like, oh yeah, I heard about that. Oh yeah, my cousin's a dance therapist. Um, but even so, like now we're in this, yeah, brain spotting, EMDR, uh, somatic experiencing. Um, it's it's taking time for that to become the mainstream dialogue. It's always adjunct. It's always, well, have yes. you tried this? You know, on your 10th attempt to see a therapist, maybe yes. you should. You know, yes. it's, um, yeah, it's kind of bittersweet, so- yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what can be disheartening is because, right, like there is, that's why not as many people hear about it or know about it because um, lesser people are trained in it. Um, you know, dance therapy, somatic therapies, things like that, mm -hmm. um, because a lot of insurance doesn't cover it. And like for me, with my hypnotherapy and brain spotting and, you know, somatic background, like a lot of, insurance doesn't even cover all of it and it limits also who I can work with because sometimes it has to be someone with a quote-unquote diagnosis but maybe they don't yeah. have a diagnosis so it, it's just it's unfortunate because that's why I don't like accept insurance yeah. and you know it's it's just it's important that and, and I'm glad that like I'm seeing more and more and more people learning about this somatic the somatic aspects and the actual power of it. And I think that's why social media can be really powerful is because it can bring awareness to these things. Um, like personally, I don't think I've met, like I live in Ohio. I don't think I've met any, like someone who calls themselves a, a, or was trained in dance therapy, which is like, like it makes, but it's also like, that's crazy. Like how, how would that make sense that there's not more that I've heard of and learned about? And I just think it's important to, to bring this awareness of working with the mind and the body and, and so much, so many people are misinformed a little bit about the mind where they're, they're, you hear sayings like mind over matter. Uh, if you're scared, right. do it anyway. And these things are going to further put us into dysregulation some of the time most right. of the time yeah yeah yes yeah because yeah I love that mind over matter you know or um you know I, I I try I try to think of like counters to that right so I'm like don't think do <laughs> you know yeah. like that's so hard because we're already thinking you know <laughs> <laughs> um and that gets us into trouble too right like sometimes that maybe we should have thought before we did something <clears throat> um yeah I agree with you that like social media can be super powerful for those reasons and we know that it can also go to the extreme right where we yes. have people self-diagnosing and yes. you know doing dance quote dance therapy in their kitchen which isn't really what I'm talking about um so you know, it goes back to that, like all or nothing, you know, that, that we either have no resources or we have like every resource at our fingertip and we utilize it all the time. And then we burn out just because we're healing, you know? So I think it's about being educated, you know, knowing what, that you have options. Also coming back to the body, it's like honoring boundaries, you know, knowing limits, like when is your body telling you, you need to turn off the screen, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> stop scrolling. I can't take any more of you know, this information right now, our mind get over, gets overload, but our body is completely overwhelmed at the same time. So, um, so yeah, you know, this is why I appreciate you having me on here because for me, a lot of it is just 
educating on options, you know, that many dance therapists, there, there are quite a few in Ohio. I'm happy to connect you to them, but many of them aren't working or calling themselves dance therapists because that's not what's billable. So I'm very adamant about, you know, using that as my title, but in the state of Illinois, I'm a clinical counselor because that's how I bill insurance. So many dance therapists are psychologists, PhDs, psychotherapists, somatic movement practitioners, like look at the verbiage, is that the right word? Language that they're using, um, the titles that they're using, and then ask them, you know, you can ask someone like, hey, do you know anyone that has a background in or their master's in this field? Because I'll tell you, even my own therapist, who is a dance movement therapist, um, doesn't necessarily broadcast the dance movement therapy piece. I know she is. When you go into her office, she has her degree on the wall. Um, (laughs) But everybody has a different, you know, comfort zone and niche that they've kind of fallen into. And I'm just stubborn as hell and will not give way to that title. <laughs> like I'm like, I, you will call me dance movement therapist. Um, I mean, that's just yes. my own thing. I just, cause I want to create that visibility. So yes. you might be surprised. That's not to say that there are thousands of us. There really aren't. Um, but some of them may be kind of under your nose and we might not even realize it because they've, um, they've, that title hasn't, hasn't been recognized. Right. And so we're working in ways that we can be recognized and we can be seen as valid. Um, And that can be, you know, a more common like nomenclature, like a more common title that people are used to seeing social worker, counselor, you know, psychologist, doctor, etc. Wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that you're sticking to your roots of I am a dance movement therapist um, because that's amazing. And that's so beautiful. And yeah, I think what you said about also like scrolling social media, like what are you noticing in your body? And usually when we're doom scrolling or, you know, doing that, it it can feel disconnected from our body. And I think um, like that's been the power for me, especially in relationship, because I've been doing a lot of inner work myself and connecting my mind and my body. Um, and I used to have a lot of chronic pain from 14 to 21. And so, and then, you know, once I tried hypnotherapy and some of these somatic therapies, I don't have any chronic pain, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And I'm so mm-hmm. grateful for, and, but now I notice if something is off or I'm like, oh, I'm not speaking my truth in this area. Oh, I'm not sharing this need of mine then I will notice my body almost, I don't want to say screaming because that sounds like really aggressive, but it's almost like my body, it will tell me, like my mind and my body are so connected. It will tell me, hey, this doesn't feel right. I need to speak my truth or do this plan of action, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's the point I go back to is like, well, one, that that it does sound harsh, but it's true. I mean, our, our body is screaming. I think most bodies are screaming right now. Right. And the, 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 the irony is like, if your body doesn't have to scream, it whispers, right. Your, your body just like tells you what it needs (laughs) until, you know, it's like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm here. Okay. I'm here. Okay. I'm here. You know, and then you're inflamed and you're in pain and you're throbbing and you're popping this or taking that. It's like, it, it does what it needs to do to be heard. And sometimes it takes pretty drastic measures, right? Um, and to your point, you know, where you said I'm pretty connected in my mind and body, I would argue that all of us are, 
right? Like everybody has a mind body connection. It's how in touch we are with it or how open we are to the communication. You know, like I talk about how mind speaks one language, body speaks another. Do they translate? You know, do they, do they learn each other's languages? Can they honor each other's culture? (laughs) Right. Like you have your own culture within your body mind connection and you can ignore it, you know, or you can be curious about it. So for a lot of us, it's, that's why I like to use that phrase rediscovering, right? Yeah. We can talk about reconnecting, but for so many of us, it's really just rediscovering what is already there. Yes. I think that's very powerful in terms of your body will scream if it's not heard. Are, are we listening to that communication? You know, are we giving it what it needs? And you just said a really important point. What did you say? Like that last point? Um, yeah, you think I'd remember, right? Um, no, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know, because I'm thinking now about like the the whisper, right? Like that our body will scream. Uh, oh, that we're all connected, like right, that our that our mind and body is connected, that we um I like to think of it as rediscovering, you know, like rediscovering mm-hmm. that connection because it is there. It's just maybe been dormant for a while or um yeah, not, not severed. It's really, it really can be severed. I have a colleague, another dance movement therapist, um, who, you know, really said, she'll say you you can't reconnect something that was never disconnected to begin with. Right. So it's really about uncovering, rediscovering where the, um, the interruption in communication has occurred, (laughs) right? Like, yes, like the, the phone, you know, do, do, do. Um, like there's something not quite getting through to the other line. It doesn't actually mean that the ties are severed, right? Like how many of us literally have, well, maybe not anymore, but you know, we had landlines, right. And like, it's connected, it's in the wall, you know, it's connected to the tower somewhere. It's just interference, right. Or there's something wrong with the, um, you know, the frequency. So how do we, how do we connect that right how do we rediscover like where the wires have literally been crossed yes that's exactly it it's not about oh you know I'm trying to get more connected to my body it's you've always been connected but what what has been interrupting that communication from your mind and body like what has severed that that connection rediscovering that well not Mm -hmm. severed that connection but you know, broke up that wires where you can't hear the communication as clearly. And I, I remembered my point was static. (laughs) Exactly. It's static. And like babies, they're completely hundred percent in communication with their mind and body. If they're uncomfortable, they're going to cry. And so what it sounds like the work that you're doing is rediscovering that truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which in many ways, you know, it was never really, at least as far as I remember, I never remember hearing the phrase inner child when I was going through my master's program. Uh, not that it didn't exist, but, um, you know, that wasn't really necessarily the framework or kind of the keywords that we were using at the time. But I truly believe that like, that's why what we do works so well, because we are, we're going to the direct source, right? The root of the inner child. <laughs> so going back to dance, you know, like, so at this conference I was at this weekend, um, I made sure to highlight that at, at one point, my co-facilitator actually got everybody in a line and we were like soul training in this ballroom. And, you know, people that did not identify as dancers, it maybe has been 30 years since they actually danced, you know, not just by themselves, but with other people, the movements that were happening, you know, and I remember thinking this, and then I asked them at the end, I said, 
how old are you now? Like, how old are you when you are engaging in your movements? I saw twirls. I saw leaps. I saw um, jumps, skips, hops. Like, these are not the movement patterns typically of 40-plus-year-olds walking down the street, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember saying, like, you know, connect with that age, right? That, quote, inner child, because many for many of them it was. And tell that person that they're worthy, right? Like tell that person that came out through your dance movement that they deserve love, right? They deserve to be here. They deserve recovery, et cetera. Um, all we did was dance. Like all we did, I mean, granted there was music, right? Music supports that. So we put the music on, they started dancing and it, you know, it moves you to connect with that inner child. So keep in mind that that is another way to access that type of work without necessarily entering into an inter like a, a conscious awareness of inner child work if if that mm. makes sense which I think is super yes. powerful but it's just I have clients that kind of roll their other like oh if I hear inner child one more time <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> they're so triggered they're so triggered by their childhood that it's like yeah that child you know no one cared about her then why should I think about her now you know um so we put on music we start dancing and we're like because she's there like that's your inner child. And the best, most accessible way to get to them is through creative, improvisational, many oftentimes joyful movement. Mm, that's so powerful on that twist of inner child work and inner child healing. It's, yeah, those twists, those jumps, those twirls. It's like, that's not what a typical 40 year old would do. I think <laughs> right. that's very, I think that's super powerful. And is dance therapy something that people can do virtually or is it, it's gotta be an in-person deal? Um, you know, thanks to a little thing called the pandemic. <laughs> I think, um, <laughs> that's a trauma in itself, right? Um, yeah. That really opened up the potential for virtual sessions. Uh, not to like, there were people doing it before, um, but there are so many more people doing it after. It really depends on, um, on the the individual, like the therapist, but also the client. So I find myself doing both right now. I am very transparent about the fact that I do not prefer virtual sessions. They're very, they're very different, but I also, I feel different when I'm on them. I am not as embodied as I would like to be when I am virtual with my clients, but I'm very transparent about that. And, um, and we, and yet we still have really powerful sessions. So now, granted, there are dance therapists that, I mean, I don't know how they do what they do online. You know, it's, I'm, it just blows my mind. Cause I'm like, wow, how did you create such a safe, beautiful container that I feel like I can only achieve when I'm in person with someone, right? That just goes back to our own uh, therapeutic styles. But yes, to answer your question, I think most, if not all expressive and creative arts therapies really can be done online. Um, there's just, it, it's, it takes, um, what's the SNL word? Strategery, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like takes, it takes some strategizing. I remember, yeah. you know, hearing art therapists traveling around to their clients' homes, dropping off supplies so that when they met virtually, they would have the paper, the pens, the markers, whatever they, they were using, you know, in their sessions at the time. So, I don't use a ton of props, but, you know, if you're a dance therapist that uses, um, you know, we have like the proverbial like scarves and bubbles, um, you know, if you're one that uses a lot of tactile um, transitional objects, it's going to be more challenging. However, I know quite a few dance therapists that really 
use the opportunity to get a deeper look into their clients' lives, right? Um, a dance therapist, her name is Su Dr. Susie Totora. I remember her talking about how she, you know, would invite or or her clients would invite her to see their house. Like, let me show you my room. Here are my stuffed animals. Here's my closet. Here's our kitchen. You know, we wouldn't get a look at that if we weren't virtual. And so- mm -hmm. You know, it has its ups and downs. And yes, that was a long-winded answer to basically say it is possible virtually. It just depends on what your needs are and the limitations of your therapist. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm so glad that there are possibilities that people can, you know, do do virtual dance therapy sessions. And um, this will be the last thing I'd yeah. love to ask. Like, tell us a little bit about your book. Oh, sure. Uh, so I wrote Body Aware rediscover your mind-body connection, stop feeling stuck and improve your mental health through simple movement practices. That's a mouthful. Um, actually through the pandemic. Um, I mean, I had been thinking about it for a long time before that, but it got published in 2022. And it really is based off of what we're talking about today is like how, you know, I had a lot of clients that would say, you know, oh, I read the body keeps the score. Now what? You know, Now what do I do? So for me, it was, not only a way to create more visibility around dance movement therapy, because that is where the basis of the book, the interventions, the tools come from. Um, but it was also a way for people to start integrating, you know, just to start moving through their emotions, to start really understanding and accessing and digesting how the body keeps the score, right? And that that's mm. simply, I say simply very lightly, but it's simply begins with looking at how the way we move influences who we are and how we think. Wow, that is so freaking beautiful. Is that available in an audio book version as well? Yeah, so it's audio, uh, ebook or e-reader, um, Nook, Kindle, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, um, you know, bound copy. So wherever books Amazing. are sold. So I know awesome. a lot of people jump to the big, big box retailers online and in store, but if you're in a community and want to support your independent bookstore, um, they might not have it in stock, but they can order it for you. Oh, amazing. Amazing. And for those um, looking to connect with you, where where are some places that people can connect with you and find you? Yeah, well, right now, I feel like Instagram for me is where it's at. I've tried other platforms. I Facebook was it for a long time, but um, Instagram seems to be where I get to meet lovely people like yourself. <laughs> and connect with, um, you know, people just looking to, again, rediscover that mind-body connection. So the therapist who moves you is my handle. Um, you can always check out my website, ericahornthal.com. Email me, reach out to me. I, I really love to connect with people because for me, again, it's it's that education piece. You know, it's not even necessarily in the capacity of working together, but if you have questions or, you know, just want some more information, don't hesitate to email me. Erica at hornthal.com is, uh, is where I am. Excellent. Thank you so much, Erica. Thanks, Valerie. This was such a, a like energy giving conversation. So I appreciate the, the opportunity. Oh, I agree. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great day. See you too.